This episode of AVXL is recorded on August 14th, 2020. We're going to talk about 15-cent movie tickets. Are those going to get you back in a theater? Epic Games' Fortnite's battle with Apple and Google. Neurolove's enhancements of classic movies. And don't forget, ask at AVXL if you got a question for us. Testing, one, two, three. All right. I'm not blowing anything out. Ignorant weasels chewing on your soul. Ignorant weasels. Do you have speed? Yeah. Welcome to AVXL, your guide to the best in home video and audio gear, no matter what your budget is. I'm Patrick Norton. Hey, I am Robert Heron. And we're curious. Actually, AMC is curious. <laughs> yes. Yes, they are. <laughs> oh, my goodness. 15 cent. Where did you find this story? It popped up in the news yesterday, and I saw AVS Forum had reported on it. Uh, Mr. Mark Henninger, he is touting that on... A reopening day for AMC movie theaters is likely going to happen. And apparently huh. August 20th, 2020 is the date to begin this reopening process. They're looking at 100 locations that are going to try to lure customers back in. And they are offering 15 cent movie tickets. The price of a movie ticket a century ago, quote unquote, <laughs> from the article. So it, I would and I truly do miss seeing something in Dolby Cinema and yeah, a 15 cent ticket, that would do it. However, for the safety thing, I would really like to hear about, you know, what updates to the air handling system has happened within these facilities. Is there going to be at least a couple seats between people? Will masks be required? I, I'm sure these things will be laid out quite clearly, but it, <laughs> apparently before the end of the month, if you want to take your chances back in the movie theaters, it is happening. Well, you know, I mean, A, wear a mask, but uh, yeah. I thought it was kind of fascinating because the movies they're looking at include, quote, Inception, Ghostbusters, Grease, Black Panther, Star Wars Episode Five: The Empire Strikes Back, and Back to the Future. My boys recently saw Back to the Future for the first time. I would kill to see Inception in a big theater because it's such an extraordinary visual experience. And, of course, because I'm waiting for the next Nolan movie to be released because it's being released in China, but there's no plans on releasing it in the United States anytime soon. Not that I'm bitter and sad, but like Ghostbusters is, a, is an amazing theater experience. I bet Black Panther would be amazing. Star Wars Episode V. Um, See, they did yeah. pick a pretty good list of popular titles. It's nothing new release, quote unquote. So another reason for that <laughs> 15 cent movie ticket. According to the article, they also mentioned that AMC plans to continue showing these bring back titles after opening day with the ticket price increasing mm -hmm. to five bucks. August 20th only if you want that 15 cent deal. <laughs> That's a lot less than I paid for the last uh, theater experience my family and I had. Five dollars a ticket. That's effectively uh, free. Costs more for parking. <laughs> Well, A, it depends where you're parking. Well, B, true. they're going to get you on that $300 worth of popcorn and uh, and beverages. <laughs> Interesting article popped up on uh, Wired earlier this week, and I hate colorizing films. And when I say that, I'm talking about classic black and white movies. Turner Entertainment ended up colorizing some films. Uh, Siskel and Ebert did a whole episode on this back in 1986. They called it Hollywood's New 
vandalism. Now, you could argue that Night of the Living Dead uh, actually looked a lot better after, you know, technically it was already color, or they, they played around the colorization, and, uh, you know, you could argue that some scenes from it looked a lot better. One of the crazy things uh, that was still on the slate until 1989, until they finally called, Turner called it off, uh, was Orson Welles' Citizen Kane, which is considered one of kind of the er movies. It was incredibly unpopular when it was released, but it's, it's kind of like, they talk about... Uh, I'm giggling now because I was talking with a friend of mine uh, last night about... Um, That's a classic. It doesn't oh my surprise goodness. me because of its kind of depressing story that it might right. not have been the most popular thing at the time, but... It was also... Uh, <laughs> man, there's so much going up on that. Well, I laugh, right? Because there's this saying about the Velvet Underground. The saying about the Velvet Underground is like they only sold a, a thousand albums, right? But all thousand albums, like... Somebody ended up with that album, and they started a band that changed your life. Uh, REM, right? You know, they talk about uh, you know the Velvet Underground as being this huge uh, influence. Citizen Kane was a huge influence on Hollywood and cinematographers and storytelling, and all of that good stuff. Part of the reason it was so unpopular is because it was essentially a romantic clef about William Randolph Hearst and. Hearst took his considerable power as a publisher at that time to try to crush it uh, in no uncertain terms. But but that would be like, you know, you know, that the the Mona Lisa, I think we need to fix the smile on the Mona Lisa. And and you could try to say, like, well, colorizing a film isn't like that. And I'm like, you know, when you're looking at, at Greg Tolan's cinematography, actually, it kind of is. But, uh, but, you know. Colorizing a movie, like, I believe, personally, is not to be done except for experimental purposes or as, you know, I don't care if people do it, but don't ever. Yeah. make that the official version of something that was no. originally done in black and white. There is a characteristic to black and white film. Mm-hmm. It'll make any display suddenly more soothing just to look at. Mm-hmm. And especially on plasma displays back in the day, watching black and white films on those and nowadays OLED displays. But yeah. there is just something about it that's just easier for you just to pay, just to stare at. It's in a way less information that makes it almost more, right. I don't know just uh, precious in a way and it's just it's a unique look and and changing yeah. that is literally going well against the author's intent in my opinion yeah I, I don't mind if it's done and of course there are examples of videos that i would like to see colorized and things like that old mm-hmm. and upgraded and enhanced and that's always something i, I appreciate because it if it can bring me more into that scene, that's one thing. Right. When it comes to artistic intent, it's like, man, don't change a classic. If you want to clean it up and make it look better than it probably did on the day of release, <laughs> I have no problem with that. Right. Part of that is right restoration, which is something we, we reference pretty regularly. For example, the restoration of... Um, uh, the Wizard of Oz, which is kind of a classic. But this company that Wired's writing about, Neural Love, they're going way beyond that. They are building... AI-powered video enhancement. It does upscaling, colorizing, sharpening, and they're taking some fairly beat-up stuff up to like 4K, 60 frames per second, which is a huge jump. So they ran their their tools against uh, a trip down Market Street, which is a really interesting historical film because it's like 12, 12 and a half minutes. They took a ride uh, basically on a cable car down Market Street, down towards the waterfront, four days before the 1906 earthquake. And the 1906 earthquake, right, there was the earthquake that leveled things, then there was... uh, 
Johnson's efforts to fight the fire, which basically involved laying down too much dynamite and blowing flaming buildings onto parts of the city that weren't burning. And the end result is the near total destruction of all of San Francisco. If you've never seen like the before and after uh, kite photography of San Francisco, it's horrifying. But the end result of this is extraordinary because as you're working down towards the ferry building, you see, you know, they've done some light colorization and you see so much more detail than you would have in the original building. And of course, there's kids running in front of it and you see these insane Victorian costumes and you see all of these vintage cars and you see them um, well enhanced and uh, Wired uh, the Wired notes uh, quote perhaps most importantly we can see in unprecedented detail the byproducts that horses had left on the ground along the cable car's tracks uh, and this it's kind of a silly thing to notice but it's not something you can really pick up in the telecinas of the original films because they're pretty beat up the work is impressive looking it really it's does astonishing. it goes from something like a postage stamp in terms of today's pixel resolutions and right. even whatever that original stock was. That's one thing you know that this company probably did was find the best original source they could. Mm-hmm. And then they, rather than hand doing this, which is time labor, yeah, it's an insane amount of work to do this frame by frame by hand. So if you can yeah. train some tools to deal with things like scratches and pop, just simply stabilizing the image a little bit better to mm-hmm. increase that clarity and to do image enhancement across the whole picture. Right. And in this case, where it's more of a historical document, I would love to see them restore it in that original black and white. And this colorized version is fascinating. Yes. It's more like a TV news footage at that point, where it's like, okay, this is is really what it was back in the day. And it's kind of cool. I like that. One of the things that uh, Shiryev, the, the, the founder, the kind of the principal, he says, we don't want to argue with people from archives. We really value their job. And, you know, they don't really consider this restoration because it's not, because they're creating huge amounts of data that didn't exist. And it's kind of astonishing. Uh, astonishing. The, the Oldify algorithm they have, that's doing colorization on films. And they ran like 14 million images through it this is the typical color for a brick. This is a typical color for a title. This is or a tire. A tire. This is a typical color for X or Y or Z times 14 million. And Shiryev says we call it enhancement because we are training neural networks. And when neural networks redraw in pictures, it's adding a new layer of data. And and they want to make it clear that like this is not you know a restoration. This is not the original. But look at all of the information we can kind of create based on what's in there. It's a lot like looking at archaeology. My hope is that tools like these would become like a plug-in within somebody's right. workflow. So for some of these releases of quote-unquote classic movies from like the 80s and the 90s that were shot on stock that, you know, maybe they were shooting those dark scenes with the camera, just one camera gated wide open and there's just noise right. everywhere. And then the next scene is in this bright outdoor space and it could go a long way towards smoothing things like that out if they're not going to do any other in-depth restoration or cleanup on anything. If, if it just became yeah. something that somebody could simply click a button in their workflow and say, hey, give me a look at this with maybe 50% strength. And just to see if it helps take this classic content with very little work and make it more presentable. 
Yeah. That's something to at least experiment with, and I encourage them to please continue, because yeah. especially with the historical footage, it makes it more palatable for today's eyeballs. I can also see it being applied, because so much of our cinematic heritage has been lost, because, you know, especially older films are not made out of materials that are designed to last very long. They might be able to use this to try to salvage what is currently being considered a, a lost piece of cinematic history. I was also laughing because I was reading this and thinking a lot about The Simpsons on Disney+. And when you look at the later Simpsons, it's all 1080p. But when you look at the early Simpsons... I'm really frustrated because Disney chose not to letterbox it and use the original 4x3. Oh, it drives Gailed me it right nuts. off the edges of the screen. And yeah, yeah, it's heinous. You lose vertical detail and you end up pixelating the detail that's left. I never want to see 4x3 pan and scanned. I never want to see 4x3 turned into 16x9 by cropping. Because as Robert said before, it's violating, you know, it's you, you would be shocked what you lose. And you can lose whether you're talking about an old Western or... Or, you know, a trashy cartoon, you lose a huge amount of visual detail because you're cutting off huge segments of the image by doing that. Yeah, and I'm not looking toward Disney Plus to be the vanguard in defending these standards either. So I no. I, it doesn't even surprise me that they left those early seasons of The Simpsons the way they are. Scaled incorrectly. No. If it were being reviewed, I'd take a star off for that. Probably two. <laughs> Probably three, just to be angry enough. One out of four stars. I have seen worse. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but that doesn't mean we have to like it. Um, Epic Games has picked a giant legal battle. If you aren't familiar with Epic Games, they're the Unreal Engine, they're Fortnite. They are a huge force uh, in the gaming world. Fortnite is a phenomenal... Uh, I, I, you know, Fortnite is a game. It is a sort of goofy first-person shooter. It is a phenomenon. It has currently, I think as of May, 350 million current users. Ask anyone between the ages of, say, 5 and 20. <laughs> they will clue you right in. If you have no they will, idea, yes. they'll show it to you. In excruciating <laughs> detail. You thought Minecraft was, you know, crazy. Oh, no, it's just um, popular. It's a fun, colorful place yes. in first-person land to hang out. <laughs> Minecraft or Fortnite? <laughs> Fortnite, actually. And I will say, Fortnite also does feature occasionally some live events that are right. very unique and incorporate music artists and things like that. Yeah. As a non-player of the game, I have found myself in that game just to check out certain events that happen. And yeah, yeah. Anyway. And this isn't a story about it's Fortnite. crazy. They had, well, kind of. They had. It is a. It, well, it totally is in a lot of ways. It's a. It's. A, but they've they've had as many. Like, I think last October they had eighty million concurrent users, which is a big number for you know if you consider that a live audience. That's a big number by any standards. Fortnite is gone from the Apple App Store and the Google Play stores because what they did was they enabled a direct payment option inside of Fortnite on both their iOS and Android apps to get around the App Store fees. So. They were basically charging, you know, if you use this link, you'll pay 20% less. Apple and Google, uh, you know, Apple's kind of the one that gets the most notice, but they charge 30% uh uh, of the revenue from apps and, and in-app purchases. And we've talked about that as part of the negotiation process when you're trying to get, for example, an Android version or a Roku version or an Amazon Fire version or a whatever version of a new app. So Apple pulled Fortnite from the App Store. Epic filed a legal complaint that, quote, seeks to establish Apple's App Store as a monopoly and the civil suit is seeking injunctive relief to allow fair competition in mobile app distribution. So, you know, it took a few more hours. Apple was like, you're gone. And 
pulled it from the app store. A few hours later, Google's like, yeah, you're gone. Because, um, of course, Google takes the same 30% revenue cut. Uh, you can still install it on Android from uh, the Epic Games app. You can basically sideload it, uh, but it's gone from the Play Store. Google's response, quote, the open Android ecosystem lets developers distribute apps through multiple app stores. For game developers who choose to use the Play Store, we have, which, of course, is the largest place to get apps and considered the safest place, um, we have consistent policies that are fair to developers and keep the store safe for users. While Fortnite remains available on Android, we can no longer make it available on the Play because it violates our policies, i.e. they don't give us a 30% rake. However, we welcome the opportunity to continue our discussions with Epic and bring Fortnite back to Google Play. We might be able to, you know, reduce the rake, but you're still going to pay us a whole bunch of money. Not once did they use the word money. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny how that works. God bless the lawyers. Yeah, the lawyers, the the poli- yeah, and this is also part of a, a a larger political battle. Epic put together a 1980 Fortnite parody of Apple's 1984 commercial, which ends with Epic Games has defied the App Store monopoly. In retaliation, Apple is blocking Fortnite from a billion devices. Join the fight to stop 2020 from becoming 1984, which, as far as I'm concerned, is uh, really kind of and for that matter the 84 commercial the 1984 commercial from apple was a a, you know a gross misunderstanding of what oppression really was in the larger sense of the word that's odd though about epic games app still allowing it to be loaded and then yeah is it simply now all payments have to go through well that's where i'm confused do payments still go through apple or google if I had an active Android device, I would check that for you. All Apple or all Google cares about is if you're using the Play Store, that anything that goes through the Play Store gives them their rake. If it doesn't get installed through the Play Store, they don't care. They don't have any leverage there. So it seems like the answer then was Epic's free game app. If you don't have it currently installed in iOS, you know, you can't install it. It's gone. Because that the, was the, the odd app thing. Store. It showed up in the menus as two different options for payment, and one is cheaper mm-hmm. than the other, and they're both offering the exact same thing. Yeah. Interesting argument arguments yeah i know these are the two big platforms for most mobile devices so essentially fortnite's picking a fight and they think they can convince the courts that this is a monopoly i don't think that makes legal sense to me this smells of we think we can make a bunch more money by taking apple and google to court because apple and google are afraid of being declared monopolies especially google I don't think in Google sense it works because there's alternative ways of, of purchasing or loading software. Uh, and, and Apple, this is, you know, this is kind of like the, the cable arguments. Um, I'm, I'm guessing that like, this will become a, oh, the 30% becomes 15% and now everyone's happy. Something, something yeah. along those lines. It'll be interesting. Yeah. Fortnite, Epic Games, they are a big company. Their software is used yeah. everywhere, not just for gaming, but also for content creation. They're very popular. <laughs> <laughs> among developers and creators. It's good to see at least a big-ish software company step up and test these waters and at least see <laughs> see if there is something truly out of whack in terms Get into of... into a fight with a much bigger software company. Yeah. I'm kind of curious because this is... If Epic's successful, this will have huge, huge implications for you know distribution on every uh, platform. Russell Kirsch, inventor of the Pixel, passed earlier this week. Uh, in 1951, he joined the National Bureau of Standards, part of the crew that ran the Standards Eastern Automatic Computer, or SEAC. That was, in 1950, uh, it was the first stored program computer to become operational. In uh, 1957, they invented essentially the first digital image scanner, where That's they crazy. would, quote, trace variations of intensity over the surfaces of photographs. They scanned. 1957, dude. (laughs) 
Hey, they had drones with video systems in the late 40s. Yeah. <laughs> this does not surprise um, me. <laughs> I, you know, so the, the first, uh, uh, one of the first photographs that was ever scanned was uh, Kirsch's three-month-old son, or a photo of his, of his three-month-old son. A 176 by 176 pixel, 30,976 pixels across a five by five centimeter space, 25 square centimeters, one bit per pixel. <laughs> I'm sure this technology was eventually rolled into the spy satellite programs too. His technology lives on today. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So essentially, this is the man who's credited with inventing the pixel or the fundamental visual component of all digital imaging. How Very crazy cool. is that? What's the news on ATS-C uh, 3.0, a.k.a. the latest and greatest in digital over-the-air awesomeness? Hey, the good folks at Silicon Dust did that Kickstarter for their units that will be dual-tuner, actually four tuners built in, two of them being compatible with the next-gen standard, oh, nice. ATSC 3. There was a problem in manufacturing. They posted this uh, actually about a month ago now. Mm -hmm. During the first 1,000 units they had produced, and the problem they claim is understood, and they will have sample units arriving it, probably already for the verification sign-off. What that means in the end is for everyone who is expecting the delivery of those initial units in July, it'll be likely before the end of this month, August 2020. Okay. In other good news they reported was that Las Vegas, Nashville, Pittsburgh, and Salt Lake City have started test broadcasts for ATSC3. Oh, wow. I'm not bummed it's going to take another month or even longer. It's because it's most gonna... of us have no access to it. Exactly. <laughs> It'll allow for at least more deployment of some of these test signals. So there's something there to start playing with immediately. And... I'm looking forward to adding one of these to my TV. Somebody asked me that question the other day. It was like, hey, do you worry about these tuners or no tuners being built into TVs? And it's like, the only thing I'm really going to miss when we go to ATSC 3 is that if you're currently using an ATSC tuner built into a TV, you're really taking advantage of something like Roku's built-in channel guide interface or whatever your TV manufacturer is. Some of those interfaces are just awesome and they auto-populate and they, it is something like a cable box built right into your TV for over-the-air reception and management. As soon as we go to ATSC 3 only, all of that hardware built into TVs becomes kind of moot and you'll need an external tuner at that point or one of the handful of TVs that are currently available featuring ATSC 3.0 potential upgrades. Hmm. Yeah, the hardware for, for us folks on the streets, probably closer to September. One other thing for a follow-up to last week's episode where we were talking about screen uniformity mm -hmm. issues where it could be flashlighting or hotspotting on an LCD display. Those were artifacts that really apply mostly to newer panels. I was watching a video yesterday about an older LCD that had been in a rather dusty or smoky environment. And just by simply running and with the thermal convection, enough dust had like sucked into that TV to accumulate on parts of the reflector and within the optical layers of the backlight system itself. It was fixable in the sense that this TV had to be completely disassembled with the LCD panel pulled off. That was flawless. It wasn't dirty at all. But once you got into some of the optical layers for concentrating the light and getting it coming straight out of the panel, there were multiple layers in there that had dust trapped and things like that. And then eventually got down to the main reflector on the back. Oh, wow. It seemed like that dust was just getting in right where the edges of the screen might have tied into some of the thermals for the panel and the seal might not have been as good. But for older TVs, you can definitely get dust collecting in there, depending on the environment of the, the display is kept in. 
and it's a possibility. And yeah, if you're a brave and careful DIYer, there are some uh, how-to guides on YouTube <laughs> regarding the disassembly and cleaning of an older LCD with that kind of an artifact in it. I will say that I am I am a brave, intrepid, and possibly even suicidal uh, sort of DIY repair person. I would do this if it's an older display or it's something like a, yeah. like a sidewalk find. And it's like, okay, it just has a horrible looking screen because this thing was kept right. in, a, in, a, in an 80s bar with chain smokers. <laughs> it just needs to be taken apart and cleaned. That. <laughs> I was curious of how well it cleaned up. So that was just uh, if you have the, the need or desire. Yeah. Those are cool uh, guides to follow. One quick follow-up, too, for that crazy $30,000 monitor I was talking about calibrating mm -hmm. last week, the ISO CG3145. It actually integrates a monitor and an, a quote-unquote AI system internally to measure room temperature and the monitor's temperature. And then they have correction tables built in that they've calculated, as well as the thing learning over time to provide picture adjustments in real time to maintain its stability. So it turned out that like when you first turn on a monitor for the first 30 minutes, generally speaking, the colors will slightly change until it thermally stabilizes. This particular monitor for that price point includes tech to mm -hmm. make it so you can pretty much turn that thing on and start going uh, almost immediately without having to wait around for it to fully color stabilize, so to speak. But oh wow, yet another reason you pay... Uh, that much for that kind of tech and they even had a white paper on their website that i'll link to if you're <laughs> if you're really interested in the struggles they go to for uniformity see our earlier discussion on restoration and or enhancement and or production of you know cinema are you up on the amc website yet searching for your 15 cent tickets I am not. I drove by my <laughs> local AMC I, yesterday. I drove by our local AMC movie theater, and, and that whole section of this mall area is abandoned. And I kept thinking, yeah. if anybody's looking to do some, uh, you know, run and gun style uh, video projects, and you need like the abandoned street scene, those are some perfect backdrops. <laughs> it looks like it's just been. I, I would like to see this reopen. I would like to see them also detail uh, just exactly what steps they're going through to ensure yeah. public safety. August 20th, people. That is next week. Uh, AMCtheaters.com. And I bring that up because, quite frankly, I don't want to see theaters go away. I don't either. That's Thursday. But, oh, not even a Friday. Well, Wednesday. Friday, Thursday. Thursday. Well, maybe they want to start it on Thursday. Because for Give some it a people. Test run. And it'll you be know, in our 20s, Robert. After. Thursday night was a good start to the weekend. It, it really was. <laughs> I used to have that job where it was like four 10-hour days, and then we had Friday, Saturday, Sunday off, and that was not oh. bad. <laughs> no. No, it was not. Just in case you forgot, this is AVXL. Go to avxl.com for all our older episodes and information on how to subscribe or search for AVXL in your favorite podcatcher. If you want to help support the show and do things like hang out with Robert, Heron, and I uh, on a weekend uh, on the uh, interwebs, do us a favor and go to patreon.com slash avxl and uh, become a patron of the show. And you'll get uh, inside access to the stuff we do and, of course, have the joyful knowledge of knowing that you help support uh us and make time for us to do the thing for you uh, we are on track to do four episodes this month we are struggling mightily and we uh, hope to make that happen 
I hope to have a projector installed before next week. That's a fantasy, because I think I'm going to be driving back from Reno with a projector in a box. But I can dream of having the projector installed and the home theater set up in my near-electricity-free basements. (laughs) A mutual friend of ours is getting a new projector installed. And actually, I'm helping him out. Oh. Not this weekend, not next weekend, I'm pretty sure. Which one did uh, the young gentleman get? You know... I should know that question. Here, let me look. I covet the blacks on the JBC, the affordability and incredible quality of the Epson. The the Optoma UHD 50X. That's that's an interesting one. That's an interesting choice. Like value 4K. I don't think that's a crazy expensive projector. But this is also going in like his fun room. That's their 240 hertz gaming projector. There you go. And I am looking forward to that. We actually needed to get a new mount. He's upgrading from a previous Optoma projector, Mm -hmm. but this one is just uses a, it's slightly bigger and it requires a slightly different mount. I will be very curious. Hopefully uh, you can talk about uh, what the frame rates were like on that. Yeah, it's like 3,400 lumens, 240 hertz refresh rate at 1080p, like 16 milliseconds. They're claiming 16 milliseconds uh, response time in the 1080p 240 hertz mode. They're also claiming up to 15,000 hours of lamp life, which is freaking awesome if it's true. I need to do some more research about 240 hertz because there are, I mean, you're not running the native content that fast. Right. Except for some games, you actually can get up to a greater than 200 (laughs) frame rate. That's also a GPU question. I sh- yeah. That reminds me, by the way, September 1st, uh, NVIDIA is announcing their next generation, uh, probably the 3000 series GPUs, which could deliver some really interesting... They're talking about huge performance bumps between the 2080 series and the 3000 series. Um, I'm so I'm excited. very curious. Yeah, That's what I'm, I'm very, very, very curious to see what those turn out to be. Give me a 3060. Um, That's what I want. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, avxl.com, patreon.com slash avxl, and thank you so, so, so much for listening to the podcast. I'm Patrick Norton. I'm Robert Herron. We'll catch you next week on AVXL.